0: Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. The helper and, you know, nevertheless. So, hey, today we're going into a brand new Uh, it's a pretty it's a short series this is a four-part series Um, but it is a, a foundational series again and I know that we've done a couple of those but this is a short one a short foundational series and today I want to talk about this specifically how do I see God how do I see God can you just say that how do I see God It's it's really one of the most important questions, and actually, if you've uh, started freedom, it's somewhat along the same lines, but just a little bit different angle. How do I see God? And I want to go over a few things with this today. But it's a four part series. We're going to talk about how do I see God? How does God see me? It's really your perspective. Um, uh, How important is the Bible in my life? And then how do I hear God? These are some of the biggest questions. They're really just some of the most basic questions that we have with the Lord. And if you don't solve these, it's hard to have a personal relationship with the Lord. I mean, it's hard to have a personal relationship with someone you don't trust. It's hard to have a personal relationship with someone you can't relate to. It's hard to have a personal relationship with someone who doesn't talk, or you can't talk, or you have no communication with. So, we wanna talk about today how do I see God? The heart behind uh, foundations and behind these four messages is not just so that you can understand and I can understand. The heart is so that you can understand to be able to, one, develop a great relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord, but also to be able to help others because how many of you know you have people that are all around you that need a personal relationship with the Lord. And we all want to be able to explain those things, but it's hard sometimes to explain it. Sometimes people will say, I don't know how to explain God to other people. I'm barely getting this kind of, this stuff myself. I have ups and downs and roller coasters all the time myself. I'm just trying to get to know God myself. I wouldn't want to mess someone else's life up. But but these are just basic things. And I really want you to ask the Holy Spirit to catch these things. How do I see god it's a big question how do i see god in fact i'm going to ask you if you have a pen or just grab a pen would you just jot a few notes here's here's the you say i'm not a note taker that's okay you don't have to be but would you be today (laughs) would you just take a few notes here's what i want you to do at least write down the main scriptures the references of the scriptures and at least write down the main points there's not a lot of them okay today but i want you to, to write these down the bible helps us to interpret the reason why we have a Bible the Bible helps us to interpret how we see God people say well why don't I need the Bible why don't why is not it just me and God because God is not speaking in your ear all the time he gave us these words that the Holy Spirit spoke these words through people so that we can be able to interpret and understand God. It's like if you wanted to understand uh, something about somebody and they wrote a bunch of letters and a bunch of things, you wanna go back and read those words and you can understand how they speak and what they think and what are their priorities. So the Bible helps us to interpret God. You can tell a lot about people by what they value. If they're writing a lot about a certain thing or they're prioritizing a certain thing, it's something that's very meaningful to them. The standards that they put in place. The Old Testament, uh, and, and you, you may or may not know a lot about the, the Bible, but how many of you know that the Old Testament had a lot of rules? Yeah. yeah, a lot of good do's and don'ts. And there's one rule that stands out above all of them. It's what we would call the, uh, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment. It's also called the Shema, uh, and it's the Shema prayer or the central prayer of Judaism, okay, that they'll still pray. It's the greatest commandment, and it's this. And I want you to read this with me. It says, listen, O Israel. Would you read it out loud? Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Excuse me, I messed it up. I messed up the Shema. Let's do it again one more time. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. That is the most important scripture and the most important prayer in all of really the Bible, if you were to centralize, uh, pull it all down to one thing. In Judaism, that's the thing where you see people are they're rocking and they're praying and you see these scrolls and you see these things that they have on their heads and you see this is what they have. It's this scripture and they're saying it because this is the main commandment. If you boil down the, the Bible down, it would be boiled down to this right here, okay? And so um, uh, it's called the Shema or the Mezuzah. And I wanna show you um, the Mezuzah is something when we went over to Israel, uh, you, you would see these, and it's, it's a little uh, little thing, and you see this, it's on every doorpost and it it really this particular one is just the scriptures written on it but a lot of them have this little box and on the little box has a little scroll that's on the inside and they insert this little scroll and on the scroll guess what's written it's written that right there because now why do they put it on the box and then you also see on their foreheads they'll put these phylacteries on the foreheads and on their arms and they'll tie them on their arms and they put them on why so that they'll always remember this in their lives okay and then there's another verse Here, The the reason why they put them on their doorposts is because God said to them, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Why? Because back in the day, they had so much social media. (laughs) Is that true? Well, back in the day, they had so many distractions. Can I just say, if they had distractions back in the days of dirt and stone and rock, how many distractions do we have today? And God said, I want you to to take care of these things and focus on just this so that you don't forget because there's so many distractions that are out there. And so here's what he said. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them. Somebody say repeat them. them. See, sometimes we think repeat because we think knowledge-based. I already know that. But the point wasn't do you know it to know it knowledge is do you know it to live it? See, God is not about knowledge-based discipleship. He's about obedience-based discipleship. So here's the question. Whenever you know something about God, ask yourself the question, do I know, am I living it? Am I applying it? Because if you're not applying it, then you don't know it. You don't know it until you do it. He says you must repeat them. Somebody say again and again. To your children. Have you ever heard your children say, I've heard that before? Well, this says you need to repeat that again and again to your children, talk about them. Notice what he said, and he gives four things. He said, when you're at home and when you're on the road, that's inside the house and outside the house. And he says, and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, what is he saying? He said, you need to talk to your children inside the house, outside the house. You need to talk to them in the morning. You need to talk to them at night about what? You need to talk to them about this. Listen, O oh Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You don't have all these other gods. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, we talk to our children about that. And you say, yeah, we do bedtime prayers. He didn't say bedtime prayers. He said, make sure that they are brainwashed with this. Why? Because that, that's, what's gonna, that's the standard that's going to keep them. Train up a child in the way he should go. What is the way. It's this way. And I know they each have, you know, individual personalities and things like that, but that's what he's saying. Repeat them again and again. So we know that what did the Lord say to do? He said to love the Lord your God. Somebody say, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, somebody said, well, that's the Old Testament, right? That's the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill that. Well, Jesus came back and he enforced this or kind of restated this. And someone came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment of all? And what did Jesus say? You must, say it with me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Well, if in the Old Testament that was the greatest one and Jesus came and said that's the greatest one, then I would say that must be the greatest one, right? And then Jesus said, and by the way, you can't let go of this, a second is equally important. Somebody say equally important. Here's why I'm emphasizing that, because there's some people who say, well, I love God, but I don't love you. (laughs) I love God, but I don't like him. Well, you may not like him, but you better love him. right. Right? Okay. He says, a second is equally important. Read this with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, on these two commandments. And Jesus came back and he emphasized these two commandments. So, what are the two commandments? It's really boiled down to this. Say it with me. Love God and love people. If we were going to learn to do one thing in life, what would it be? To love God and to love people. Well, shouldn't it be simple? I mean, if that's all we got to do is love God and love people, shouldn't it be simple? I mean, it's pretty basic, right? Uh, That should be what it is. Well, here's here's the problem love God and love people, is I believe that our concept of God is jacked up sometimes. Our concept of how we feel about God. So here's the big question that I'm coming back to, is what is your concept of God? What do you think about God? What's your perspective about God? How would you interpret God to somebody? I mean, I'm not just talking about, well, I know how, he's great, he's awesome, he's this. No, no, what do you really think? Is he a disappointing God? Is he a mean God? Is he an unjust? No. I mean, I know in church. I'm I'm talking outside the church. Is he a God who, who when you mess up, he's going to kick you? He's going to push you away? Is he a God that when you disappoint him, he's disappointed in you? Is he a God that when you disobey, he's going to... Turn his back on you? Is he a God that when you pray, he's going to be like, well, let me just see how much you mean it. Is he a God that's waiting for you to see how high you can jump or how low you can go or how much you can worship or how passionate you can be and then he'll listen to you? See, what is our concept of God? And I think that we need to be able to interpret our concept of God because if we can't fix our concept of God, it'll be hard to love God. And if it's hard to love God, it'll really be hard to love people. Somebody say amen. Amen. What is our concept of God? Is he kind? Is he loving? Is he generous? Or do you see him as angry? Do you see him as aloof? Do you see him as distant? Let's just keep this question in mind as as we go through this today because here's why. Our concept of God shapes how well and even whether or not we're able to do these two things. I don't think it's just trying to love God more or trying to love people more. I think if we go back and adjust our concept, the way that we view God, we'll be able to adjust those other things. Now, let me tell you, the purpose of Memphis Tabernacle, the purpose of our church, is really to do this. It's really to help people to meet God. It's where God and people meet. It's where we always call for the presence of God and we want God, people to encounter God. To people to encounter. If we were to dig into it a little bit deeper, we'd say this to help people build an intimate relationship with God. Help people to really build an intimate relationship. But let me ask you this for those who've had broken relationships in the past, for those who've been divorced in the past, for those who've had a lot of disappointments in the past, why is it difficult to have intimacy? Or have an intimate relationship. I'm not just talk, I'm not talking uh, sexual or things like that. I'm just talking about closeness, transparency. Why is it hard to have intimacy with, with some people? Because of a lack of trust. Yes, right. Right. That's right. How can you have intimacy with a God we don't trust? How can you have intimacy with a God you're really just not sure about? Uh, By the way, I'm not talking about just to mature adults in here. I'm talking about, I I began to ask these questions when I was 13 years old. And I I remember just thinking, man, I don't even know if there is a God. And I call out to God. And until I could answer some of those questions, I really couldn't open up my heart and begin to develop an intimate relationship. With the Lord. Intimate relationship you have to have with someone you trust. So let's talk about something really important. Let's talk about your concept with God. Your concept of God. What do you really think about God? No, really, do you trust Him? What do you really do you have a wrong concept of God? Think about it for a moment. Do you have a wrong concept of God? A wrong concept of God. All of us have an an, an an initial concept of God, and I believe it's a direct reflection of our parents. It's a direct reflection of our parents. See, in the in the beginning of time, God created Adam and he created Eve, and he created them to be image bearers. He created them in his image, and they reflected him. And so uh, what happened was he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And so they became image bearers and their kids became like them and they reflected them and they reflected them and they reflected them. And all throughout time, we become image bearers of, of our parents. And so our parents represent God to us, so to speak. They're not God to us but we become image bearers of our parents. God put his image on Adam and Eve and he commanded them to multiply. Parents are image bearers of their children and he play, we place our image, so to speak, on them. And we always naturally believe that God is like our parents, especially fathers. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've had a broken relationship with your father or a distant relationship with your father or no father at all, it's gonna be really difficult to understand a loving Father God. Yes. Why? Because the image bearer that you knew growing up, what you could relate to maybe didn't have that kind of, of thought. It, it's really the first hurdle that I believe we have to overcome in order to be able to love God with all of our hearts. We have, in order to have an intimate relationship and open our hearts up to God, we have to be able to ask ourselves about the concept of God. Negative views of God. Do we have this dreadful fear of God? God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God's rejected me. I've done done so much wrong that I don't even know if God accepts me anymore. I don't even know if God wants to answer my prayers anymore. I don't even know if God listens to me because I disobeyed God. It's not just that I messed up. I willfully walked away from God. The anger of God, believing that God's against me, God's punishing me, something happens in your life and you go, well, it's my fault. Believing I've sinned too much, I've been forgiven, I have uh, uh, condemnation, I have generational curses. Maybe it's not even for me, it's from my heritage or it's from something that was passed down from my family, deception, spiritual troubles. You may have a parent who didn't listen to you, and so when you pray, you're not really sure that God listens to you. That's just how you interpret it. You never thought about it before, but you just wonder why you think that. Maybe your parents were manipulative. And so you feel like with God, you have to walk a tightrope, and you have to do all the right things for God really to catch you and understand you. If your parents were absent, maybe you were a latchkey kid, and so... Uh, you, you, you may believe that God just really doesn't care or he's not really listening, he has so many other things to do. If your parents had anger problems, you may have this big fear of the wrath of God. God's gonna kick my butt if I mess up, if I make a mistake, if I do something wrong and I know that I do, so I better just keep my distance like I did. If your parents were broke, they didn't have money or there was always tension around what, what would happen? Then, then you have this, you grow up with this poverty mentality, this spirit of mammon to where you put money, yes. where you put your life about pursuing money or you, money becomes your security and that I have to get it for myself because ain't nobody going to get it for me. Jesus. I know that when I grew up, I remember I had two godly, God-fearing, hardworking parents. They loved the Lord with all their hearts. As I you know, mentioned, they'd tithe, they'd, they'd, they'd be in church, they'd serve, they'd work hard, they'd love, Lord, they'd love the Lord, but they were not good with money. I mean, they just weren't good with budgeting, they weren't good with finances, uh, and I remember that when it would come to bill time or it would come time to, there, would, they would sit down and my dad would always do this, he'd go, oh, Lord Jesus. Jesus, 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 I thought dad's talking to the Lord, but I don't think he's talking to the Lord. <laughs> he's under stress. Yes, I and I remember growing up hundreds of times watching my dad stressed about money, yes. stressed out about money. And you know what it did? I'd go through life and every time it would come to money, I'd get stressed out in our marriage come to money and I get stressed out. I'd go to pray about money and I didn't want to budget. I didn't you talk about budget. I don't want to budget. Why? And I'd I'd say, Jesus, (laughs) you know, I'd find myself doing it. And you know what I realized? I had to grab God's word and I had to break. I had to renew my mind to understand my concept of God came from just my concept. My parents weren't trying. They loved me. They loved the Lord. They just had a, a, a wrong concept about money and a wrong approach about, you know, some things. They love the Lord, but ju- there was just some some things that they I had to break from learning. See, these are lies that we believe about God and they impact our lives. You know what I mean? There's a book that's called Father of the Fatherless by Paul Witts. And he looks into the relationship uh, between uh, famous atheists and their fathers. He talks about Nietzsche and Uh, Sartre and Freud, along with most of the modern atheists of Hitchings and Dawkins and Dennett. And they had a, these all had a range of terrible relationships with their father, every one of them, terrible relationships with their father from abandonment to abuse and beyond. All of these men end up hating their fathers. And so that played this pivotal role in their lives with how they saw God. It caused them to get as far away from God as possible. Sometimes we just think, why do certain people reject God? And we don't realize, we don't realize that it was our upbringing. We don't realize that God needs to heal some father wounds, some mother wounds, some parent wounds in order just to get us into a loving, intimate relationship where we can trust him. There are probably, I'm sure some people here today That even, as I shared, you know with me, you have some wounds or you have some things that you've been running from God because your earthly representation, it was just less than what it should be. Security, lack of security, lack of provision, um, lack of safety, being able to share, being open. If you've had bad parents, it often causes you to have this bad filter of the Lord. Um, You know... There's oftentimes people will come to me and will say, Pastor, will you pray for me for something? And I'll say, yeah, what is it? Shoot, what is it? Tell me, what is it? And sometimes people will say, will you you ask the Lord for me for direction and what I'm supposed to do concerning this? And sometimes I'll stop and I'll say, can I I just ask you a question? Because I perceive that there was some type of, they didn't want to ask the Lord. And I'll say, have you asked the Lord?" Well. See, they want me to ask the Lord because they don't have this confidence that they can just step right in and ask Papa, ask God, ask their dad for this. And they can't just walk right in and ask him and I'll say, do you know how much the Lord loves you? And every once in a while, you know, sometimes the tears will get in their eyes and they'll go, oh man. See, sometimes we just need to know the Lord loves us. And that he cares about us. Sometimes people will say, would you pray for me for healing? And I'll stop and say, I'd be glad. I'd love to pray for you for healing. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to come in between you and your relationship with Father God. Have you prayed for yourself for healing? Have you prayed for yourself direction Because you have a God who wants an intimate relationship with you, who loves you, who wants to speak to you, who wants to be with you. And if there's someone that you say, well, you can be a representative of God and step in, I never want to step in and be a representative and take the place of something that God wants to develop one-on-one with a person. What is our concept with God? And here's the thing. If our concept with God is wrong... It will create an incorrect filter for how you perceive everything in life. If your concept with God is wrong. So what what do we need? A personal relationship with God is the key. We're going after a personal relationship with God. I can only get as close to God as my concept of God will allow me to get. I said, I can only get as close to God as my concept of God will allow me to get. Otherwise, I'm going to put up these walls and I'm gonna hold back, especially in light of the relationship with our parents. So let me ask you this. Do you feel as though you can approach God on your own? Just stop for a moment, think about it. I'm gonna give you a, a couple of things, but, but I want you to just stop and think about it for a moment. Do you feel as though you can approach God on your own? Do you feel as though you can come to God for anything you need? I mean anything. Things that you'd be embarrassed about to share with people. That you can come to God in times of loneliness. That you can come to God when you feel like you blew it and you don't know who else to go to. That you can come to God concerning maybe you're, you're lonely and, or maybe you're, you're looking for a relationship. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you're, you're afraid to let go of that relationship because there's some security that's in that relationship. Maybe there's a financial need that you just, you just don't see things going upward. And you don't even know how you're going to make it. Maybe there's a healing. Maybe there's something that you got a bad report and you just don't know what to do. Do you feel like you can approach God on your own? There's a scripture that I want to read to you. And it says this. I want you to look at this. It says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Here's what I love about that verse. It's, you, you know, it's Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you get to the end, that's the end, right? Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Because I think a lot of times people are asking, how do I get to God? How do I get God to hear me? How do I get to God to answer me? Can I tell you this morning, if you have the right approach for God, for, uh, about God, you'll realize that you're not trying to get to God as much as God is trying to get to you. You're not trying to pursue God as much as God is trying to pursue you. The real love of the Lord, in fact, there's two things that I want to share. Two things that you have to know in order to get the right perspective, the right approach for God. Two things, and they're both found in this verse. Number one is this, goodness. And number two is this, love. You have to know That God is a good God. And you have to know that his his unfailing love is there. His love and his goodness. There are two key things that we should all know. Now, truth number one is this. God is completely good. Somebody say, God is completely good. God is completely good. Good. You know, you've heard someone say, God is good, and you say, all the time. Someone says, all the time, and you say, God is good. I know some people say, I don't like all those things. You know, that sounds all churchy and all that. No, it's not churchy. It's true. That word goodness, that word goodness, in fact, the Hebrew word, that word goodness, it means completely good, fully good. It means the, the, the the most stretched out way you could say good. That's what God is. God is all good. God is good all the time. All the time. In every single way, God is good. God is completely good. He's not good the way we know good. God is good in every single way. God is good. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says this. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. Sometimes we think that God is good because he, he does good things. No, God does good things because that's all he can do. God can't do anything but good. Anything God does, we have to interpret it must be good because all God can do is good. Let me say it again. God, we don't, we sometimes think God's good because he does good. No, God does good because he is good. Everything God does is good. And we have to know that in order to interpret God, we can't interpret God with the way, well, he must be this and he must be that and he must be this and someone told me this and Aunt Sally this and Uncle Fred this. No, what we have to do is we have to know God is good all the time in every way. That's the way God is. God is good. His number one attribute that all other attributes come from Sometimes we talk about that term like, you know, someone will say, oh, he's a good guy or she's a good gal or he's, (laughs) he's a bad guy. He's a bad dude, right? Right. But when we think about God, how do we describe him? His number one attribute is that he's good. He's a good God. Sometimes we look at people by looking at their actions, by looking at what they do. God is different though. We don't look at his actions. We look at him, his person and his actions come out of who he is. He's doing good, doing good things don't make him who he is. He does good things because he is good. In the desert, Moses spoke with the Lord and Moses came to the Lord and he said, Lord, please show me your glory. He came to the Lord, please show me your glory. Show me the best thing about you, Lord. Show me the great thing about you, Lord. And then in the next verse, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Notice what the Lord said. I'll show you my glory. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Why? Because how would God describe his glory? He describes it as his goodness. He's saying, what is the best thing about you? Out of all the attributes of God, it's his goodness. Moses had already seen the miracles of God, the wonders of God, the signs of God. He had already seen the burning bush of God. And what did he do? He said, God, but I I saw the things externally, but I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to know how you think. I want to know how you feel. I want to know how you process. And God said, I'll tell you what I'll show you. I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you who I am. I'll show you the inside of me. He wanted to know God in a deeper way. And then we see here in the book of Exodus, the Lord passed before him. This is Moses and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering. Read this with me. And abounding in goodness, abounding in what? Abounding in goodness and truth. Are you getting this this morning? Abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy or love has said love in the Old Testament. It says, that means enduring love, everlasting love, never runs out love. He said, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, abounding in mercy. Moses is asking, what are the things? And God says, I'm going to show you mercy for thousands. Why was he showing him mercy and forgiving iniquity? Because he's abounding in goodness. He's merciful, patient, gracious. All of his attributes... All of his attributes are are his mercy, his grace, his patience, and his truth. They flow with his goodness. So God is completely, fully good. I said, God has come. I know it's hard to even just stop and process that. I I pray, Holy Spirit, help us to catch how good. God is he's fully completely he's all good he's only good God is good all the time all the time God is good it's impossible to talk about just one of his attributes why because they're all tied together they're one package God is the full package God is infinite do you know what the word infinite means it means there's no measurement there's no bounds there's no limits so when we talk about God's infinite and we say God's infinitely good we mean we can't even measure the goodness of God The the goodness of God just like pushes out of his pores in every single way. You do something and what's going to come out? Goodness. The goodness of the Lord comes out. There's no limits to his goodness. His goodness cannot be measured. We take some of the other attributes of God, like for instance, his immutability. You know what his immutability is? It means he doesn't change. And we could say, God, your goodness is mixed with your immutability. In other words, you're never going to not be good. There'll never be a time in your life that you're not a good God. His omnipotence, what is that? It means that God's all-powerful. God's all-powerful, and just like his goodness is unlimited, it never runs out. You might say, I've tapped out the goodness of God today. No, you haven't. His goodness never fails. You can never tap out the goodness of God. There's an unlimited source, unlimited supply. God is just. What does that mean? It means his goodness is impartial. God is omnipresent, what does it mean? It means his goodness is there for you. In the light of day and in the darkness of night, God's goodness is always there for you. You alone are good. Nothing is good by his influence. Nothing that is good by his influence can equal him. In other words, he's good by himself. He just doesn't influence goodness. And then when something goes down, he's like, I go down too. No, God in and of himself is good. He doesn't depend upon anyone else. You can't make him not good by, you can't make him not have a good day. He's going to always put back goodness. That's just what God is and who God is. He's completely and perfectly good. And he's infinitely good, perfectly good. He's the full package. And I want to remind you of this here. Every good, say it with me, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Notice he's not holding on to his goodness for himself. I talk, I'm I'm, I'm talking to somebody this morning. He's not holding on to his goodness for himself. He doesn't need his goodness just for himself. We're talking about our concept of God. His goodness is to be poured out over you for a thousand generations. He wants to show you his goodness. And when Moses said, show me your glory, he said, let me show you my goodness. God is so good. It's impossible for God to do anything but goodness, 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 goodness. Goodness. Everything he's done is good. God created everything. God created Tillamook Rocky Road ice cream and chocolate chip cookies. Come on, somebody. God created barbecue ribs. God created. Come on, somebody. God created that feeling when you're on a roller coaster and you have that big drop and you're like, whoa. God created that feeling and all the other feelings you like. God created them. Yeah. God created that, that the endorphins that when you exercise and something's released and you're like, whoa, what is that? God created that. God created all the things that are good. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, look at what man did. Man didn't do jack. Except mess things up. <laughs> all the goodness All the good things God created if you just stop and think about it. It's impossible for God to be anything but good. I'm a little crazy about starting things sometimes because I don't like to stop them. I don't like to to stop. I don't like to start a project without stopping it. Maybe because my dad would start projects all over the house. Dad, my dad's in heaven. Sorry, dad. I'm not trying to tell on you today, but... But it's true. He would start projects and start a project and then start another project and start another project and there would be all kind of undone projects. So there's just something about me. I don't like to start anything. I don't like to start a puzzle without like finishing it. I don't like to start a game. I don't like to start a project without saying, well, I'm going to finish it. Sometimes I mean, Tiffany would say, you need to come to bed, you know, it'd be one in the morning, two in the morning. No, I need to finish it. There's something about finishing it that I want to finish it and sometimes I just can't finish it because I, I got to get some sleep. But you know about God? God just keeps going. His goodness doesn't run out. He just keeps going. He finishes what he starts. That's just the way God is. It's impossible for him to stop his goodness. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness today. God doesn't have an ulterior motive. God doesn't manipulate us. God doesn't dangle the carrot in front of us and then say, I'll show you my goodness afterwards. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says that it's God's goodness that leads you to repentance. It's not repentance that leads you to his goodness. Right? Sometimes we think repent and then I'll show you my goodness. No, God said, I'll show you my goodness and it'll it'll put you on your knees because I'm so good. That's just the goodness of the Lord. See, when we start to understand the goodness of God, you know what it does? It, we're image bearers. We reflect the Lord, and you know what? We won't be so such jerks to people sometimes. So impatient to people sometimes. It's not just trying to like. Okay, I got to work on my my mannerisms, and I got to work on my practices and how I come across and my approach. No, we have to work on receiving and understanding our concept of God and His love and His goodness in our lives, in our lives. There's times, I know in my life, I would feel uh, insecure about when my early adulthood and even, even into my adulthood, there's times where I'd feel insecure around certain people and I'd catch myself when I was talking exaggerating. Just blowing up the numbers just a little bit or the truth or just saying, yeah, you know, I benched this or I did this or I woke up this and I did this and I, I went to bed this and I, and I, or I got this or I did. And I just find myself little bit here and there. I'd find myself just little bitty exaggerations, which are called lies. And I remember my heart would check me about it. And I'd go back to the Lord on it. I'd say, Lord, what's the deal with this? What's going on? And the Lord didn't just beat me up beside the head about what I was doing. The Lord began to ask me why I was doing it. Come on. Yeah. No, 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 stop and think about it for a minute. Why are you doing it? See, compromises in your life, you're compromised for a reason. Yeah. Yep. you compromise to fill a void. Right. you compromise to make up a difference. You compromise to fill an in insecurity. What I really realized was, I didn't really realize that God's goodness would fill in the gap. I didn't need to fill in the gap. In fact, if I was aware of the goodness of God, if I was aware of how good God was to me, I can be honest and it would be even be a better testimony. People would say, that guy has no hope. God, God is good, somebody, Right? See, but sometimes what do we do? We try to close the gap and exaggerate. We try to close the gap. And certain things in our lives, because of insecurity, we step over lines. And we don't realize. It comes back to not just the practice or we've stepped over the line that God cares about. He wonders why. Did you not realize that I care about you? Did you not realize that I love you? Did you not realize that I'm with you? Did you not realize that I'm more than enough? You don't have to ever, 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 ever be insecure. So God's always truthful. He abounds in goodness and truth. If you find yourself with little compromises, check your concept of God. Do you believe that he's good? And then the second one is this. Truth number two is God is love. God is love. Love is expressed through someone's attributes. Love is expressed through... God's attributes. What he does reveals who he is. Sometimes you could say, well, he is this. Well, how do you know? And then you tell something about him. God's name reveals his character, his attributes. For instance, if someone is uh, an encourager or encouraging people, you would say, well, they're an encourager. If someone a, a builds things, you say, well, they're, they're a great builder. If someone um, uh, paints things. Right? You say, well, they're a painter. If someone works out conflicts all the time, you say, wow, they're, they're a great counselor or a, you know, conflict resolutioner or something. Right? But God has these names in the Bible that describe who he is. It's really his expressions of love. One of them is this, Jehovah Shammah. It's the Lord is present. The Lord is present. In other words, the Lord is always there for you. You will never walk alone. You will never sleep alone. You will never be alone. At no time in your life are you doing life alone. Ever. El Roi, the Lord who sees me. The Lord sees what's going on. You may feel like nobody sees. Nobody cares about you. No one's aware of your issue. Well, he is the God who sees you. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace. The Lord your peace. He's the one who uh causes peace in your life i know that just a couple of weeks back i heard about some news about some tragedy that happened to somebody and oh, i don't know why you know i hear about things all the time but i heard about something and it just caught me you ever have something that just catches you and it kind of comes back up and it caught me and i begin to worry about something i begin to think about my family i begin to think about memphis i begin to think about some situations and i just i started to get troubled I started to have anxiety. Started to have a little bit of cold sweat. You ever, you, you know what I'm talking about? I started to have a little bit of an anxiety about it. And and I just said, Lord, I cast that on you. And I went on, went on, went on. And it was, and I mean, it came up three or four times. Started to get anxiety. And that's not me. I don't usually get anxiety. But I remember stopping and lifting up my hands and saying, you are Jehovah, shalom, my peace. I invite the peace of God right now into my life. I invite the peace of God into my home. I invite the peace of God into my habitation. I invite the peace of God into my, my thoughts, my consciousness, my spirit. I dwell on the peace of God. And you know what happened? All of the trouble left. All of the stuff left. Peace. Why? Because he's your peace. He's your peace. He's Jehovah-Rohi. What is that? He's your shepherd. Sometimes we sit here and we worry about, I don't know what to do. And all you have to say is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I prayed about it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, let him ask in faith without doubting Doubting says, I don't know what to do. Faith says, I do know what to do. Well, what if I don't know what to do? (laughs) Well, quit saying you don't know what to do. Say, I'm God's sheep and I hear my voice. I I try to say it every day of my life. I say, I'm his sheep and I hear his voice. Come on, somebody say it. "I'm, I'm his sheep and I hear his voice. I know the will of God. And when I ask God what to do, say it with me. He tells me what to do. Yeah, see, because he's Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. That's who he is, right? He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Maybe sitting there sick, but he's your healer. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, my righteousness. Sometimes you feel like I can't stand up for myself. People are putting me down. My own mind's putting me down. And what do I do? I have to realize that God's love is expressed through his names. And I have to know that, 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 that he loves me, he cares about me. Somebody say it today, God loves me. He cares about me. Not only do all these things reveal God's character, but they reveal God's love. The names of God express his love, his love. That's who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh. Somebody say, God my provider. God, my provider. He supplies and provides every one of my needs. Every one of my needs. Do you know that you don't even, you might think that he doesn't even know all your needs. Can I tell you, he knows your needs more than you know. He knows your needs tomorrow. You're only aware of your needs today. And you might think, but uh, ah, you know, okay, I prayed up to this point. (coughs) Excuse me, I have got up to this point by worrying and asking the Lord and he's got up to this point. But what about tomorrow? Can I tell you, By worrying has not got your needs supplied. The only one who knows about your needs tomorrow is the Lord. And he's already Jehovah, Jireh, your provider. So what do you do? Because of the love of the Lord, he provides every single one of my needs. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's Jehovah. Not only do all of these things reveal God's character, but they reveal the love of God. They reveal God's love himself. God is love, and God's love is infinite, and God's love is eternal. God's love can't be measured, and God's love will never end. Can I tell you, for the rest of your life, In fact, after this life, God's love is in heaven. God's love is on earth. God's love is under the earth. God's love is everywhere at all times. So what do you have to do? We have to be saturated in the goodness of God, saturated in the love of the Lord. Sometimes we end up blown in and walking away from God, or sometimes we get depressed or discouraged because of our paradigm and our thought and the way that we understand God But I'll tell you, that understanding has to be renewed. Somebody say today, God is a good God. God loves me. And that's what we need to do over and over. God's love is infinite. God's love is eternal. Eternal forever. The word love, the word love appears 21 times in in 1 John chapter 4. 21 times in 1 John chapter 4. I want you to just look at this. It says, dear friends... Let us continue to, will you just say the word love every time it comes up, come on. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. By the way, just stop right there. You, God's love is not dependent on your love. You could flip off God every day. You shouldn't. That would be horrible because his love is constantly. You could turn your back on God. You could walk away from God. God. You could not serve God anymore, and God's love would still be there. God's love would constantly. Remember the prodigal son, where his position was, even after his son left? It was sitting there looking for his son to come back home. See, that's where the love of the Lord is. Look at, not that he loved us. Love is not about you loving God. It's about him loving you. It's not about you giving to God love. In fact, if you have an issue with worship and you have a hard time expressing love to God, do you know what the real issue is? It's really you having a hard time receiving his love for you because the Bible says we love him because he first. See, we can only love to the degree that we're loved. We can only give love to the degree that we're loved. So if you have a hard time of expressing love, it's because we have a hard time receiving love. Look at this. Not that we loved God, But that he loved us and sent his only son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God said loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to the full expression in us. Look at this. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love for God is Come on, somebody. God is love. And all who live in love, live in God. By the way, look at those words. Live in love. Live in love. Do you think that if we lived in love, if we just soaked ourselves in love, if we were saturated in love, if we were saturated with the thought that God loves, me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, and that was every thought, I don't care how many people were ticked off at you, frustrated said things, did things. Do you know what would come out? The love of God. Oh, God loves me. God loves you. You just pour on this. How can he do that? I can do it because I'm just an overflow of love. The love that comes out of me is the love that was poured into me. I can only give the love that was poured into me. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And And what did he say? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, I I pray that this become a revelation to every single one of us today. As we live in love, love flows out of us. He says, and becomes more perfect so that we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because Perfect love expels all fear. If you're dealing with fear, do you know what the real issue is? A lack of love. I thought it was a lack of faith. Faith is not the opposite of fear. Love is the opposite of fear. If you want to get out fear, I'm, I'm talking phobias, fears, anything, afraid of Anything. I'm afraid of public speaking, I'm afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of heights, I'm afraid of of people, I'm afraid of social this, I'm afraid of that. All of that fear, it's a lack of love. Why? Because fear comes from self-preservation and self-protection. And when you're self-preserving, what are you doing? You're thinking about you not loving someone else. So what does it say? Perfect love, what does it do to fear? It annihilates it. You walk into a dark room, you flip on the light, what does light do to darkness? It eliminates the darkness. What does love do to fear? It casts out fear. Yeah, someone says, Were you afraid? Oh, didn't even think about it. Someone says, are, are you afraid of this? I'm not, but wasn't even thinking about that. Wasn't even thinking about me. One of the best things I could do, I remember when I used to stand up, oh, I'd lead worship all the time, but to stand up and speak, oh man, it freaked me out. To stand up and speak, I don't know what to do to speak. And you know what I, I did? I remember reading this scripture and just realizing when you stand up to speak, think more about people Beautiful. than what people think about you. Because if I think about what, what, how to get love to people and the word of God to people and the message of God to people and not about what people think about me, then I'm re- sorry, I'm just not really, yes. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I'm not, I don't care about myself. I care about you. You know, that's, that's how you get over those things. Look at such love, perfect love casts out fear or expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not experienced his perfect love. You can't understand God without understanding love. I said you can't fully understand God without understanding love. There are a couple of things that we need to understand about love. And one is this, that Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's something that you need to understand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It says here in 1 John. Oh man, we weren't even done with the, the last love. Hang on, let me, let me finish this one. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow brother, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he has given us this commandment those who love God must also love their fellow brothers. See, love is just something you want to describe God. It's love. You want to, you want to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What's my calling? God will say, love. Yes. Well, who should I love? How about the person that lives in your house? But I don't want to love them. Well, until you love them, they're your first, they're your first project. And he doesn't move you on to second grade until you pass first grade. They're hard to love. Yeah. Start there. Start there. And people wonder why God didn't move them on. It's not people. It's not people. God starts you where you are. We're all at a place. Love the people. Let me just say, love the people that are right in front of you. Look at this. There's two things about God's love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ. Read this with me. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamities or persecution or or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened or death? The number one thing you have to know about love is this, that nothing in life can separate you from. Nothing you do can separate you from God's love. Nothing. No person. That person just caused me to have a horrible day. That person cannot separate you from the love of God. That person's out to destroy me. That person cannot destroy you. Because God's love will protect you and cover you. His goodness will surround you. And you have to know that. And you don't feel security until you know the security of the Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. We can't do anything to make God love us more. Let me say it. Listen. You can't do anything to make God love you more. And you can't do anything to make God love you less. No, you may not believe that. It's hard to comprehend. You can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less. He doesn't love us because of what we do. And then the second thing we need to know about God's love. Well, here, look at this. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears, nor worries. Things tomorrow, powers of hell, powers uh, in the... Separate us from God's love, nor powers in the sky above, nor the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Somebody say nothing. In all of creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which Christ. Two things to know about God's love. The second one is this: that He loves you because of who He, he is, not because of who you are. Because of what He's done, not because of what you've done. If we if we were raised, or we think we earned, can you come up? With, some type of thing to where I've earned God's love or I I have a performance mentality then we think as long as I'm on my game as long as I'm doing things right then God loves me it's not true you can walk away from God today let me just say it loud and clear you can walk away from God today and God still loves you you cannot read your Bible the rest of the year You cannot pray the rest of the year and God still loves you. You can never serve in church. You can never tithe, never give and God still loves you. You can go sleep with every person on your block and God still loves you. By the way, I don't suggest you do. And you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying we have to break that mentality. A performance mentality. I have to do something to earn the love of the Lord. And here's, here's, here's the biggest thing right here. We touched on this on freedom. In fact, we ended on this. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And then when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. know why I think that verse is so important? Because it wasn't on my best day that Jesus did something for me. It was when I turned my back on him. It was that day. It was when people were spitting on him, cussing him, accusing him, blaspheming him. It was that day. He was saying, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. That's the day. If we don't understand the goodness of God and the love of the Lord is not dependent on your works. It's not dependent on your performance. I don't know what was told you in your mind with your parents, with your church. You don't need to do anything to get God to love you. Our obedience to the Lord should not come out of duty, but out of delight. Our obedience to the Lord should not come out of I have to. It should come out of I want to. You don't have to do anything to measure up to God. You don't have to be better. In fact, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for healing. I just sense sense the love of the Lord in the room right now. Would you open up your... Your hearts I pray for a healing of paradigms and mentalities right now healing of mindsets Healing of feeling like you've disappointed God Feeling like you've not done enough feeling like you're not good enough Feeling like you don't deserve it. Here's the reality you don't but Jesus does and Jesus paid the price For every one of us, for all humanity. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. You love us because you... You love us, Lord, not because of our works, but because of your work. Love is unconditional. Love is unconditional. I want you to do this as we close here. Would you look at the screen here? I want you to look at these three questions and I want you to just stop and pray and ask the Lord these three questions. Look at, one is, is there anything about how I saw my earthly father or mother that's distorting how I see you, how I see the Lord? Number two is, will you show me something about your goodness that I've not seen before? And number three is, and this gets me because I've asked the Lord this before, why do you love me? Because I don't feel like the Lord should love me sometimes. Why do you love me? Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.